Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, and welcome back. This is Walk Through the Bible, Week 16. And today we're going to be discussing some from our reading this week, which in the Daily Bible was pages 475 through 508, or in the Daily Bible, it's the dates of April the 16th through the 22nd. So let me give a quick review. We discussed King David. He's now king of Israel. He uh, took Jerusalem and established that as the uh, headquarters of his kingdom. And then the Lord promised him an eternal throne, what we call the Davidic covenant, God's promise to David of an eternal reign. And uh, then we had the story of two immediate backlashes to this very, very uh, amazing promise that God gave David. And he was tempted seriously by sin in the story of Bathsheba. And then he had a usurper. His son Absalom attempted to take over the kingdom. And we had a very poignant story of David leaving Jerusalem in tears over this rejection and how that foreshadowed the day Jesus did the very same thing. So now this week, uh, we're going to read 2 Samuel chapters 21 through 24. And I want to say there's two stories here. And uh, chapters 21 through 24 are a bit of an addendum to the book of 2 Samuel. So we're not really sure when these stories took place. Um, so we want to discuss them here. The first one was a story there was famine in the land. And David discovered it was because of sin that Saul had committed. And so David had to rectify this situation and stop the famine. The second story, though, is that David himself brought on the judgment of God on the people. And so I want to take a minute here to discuss this story. It says that David took a census. And this was very displeasing to the Lord. And when we read this, we're like, what's wrong with the census? I mean, we take a census in the United States every year. Many countries do just to know their population and maybe a little bit about the demographics of their citizens. But that's not what a census was about at the time of David. It was that you counted up the men that were of fighting age. So it was a necessary step in preparing to go to battle. You counted up your men and then you organized them. You knew how what size of an army you had and what you could accomplish. So it was planning for military war. And this displeased the Lord probably for two different reasons. One is, of course, that David did this without the Lord commanding him to do it. And the Lord was actually their ultimate commander, their ultimate king. And uh, he did not tell David to prepare for war. And so in a way, this was stepping out uh, ahead of the Lord. You could say disobedience. But the second reason, it could indicate that David was getting a little prideful uh, because of all these military victories that the Lord had given him. 
And so he's going out in his own strength now, preparing for war. So it could have been a, a very bad sign of where David was. And so once he realizes um, that this displeased the Lord, he repented. So David sees the angel of the Lord over Jerusalem with his sword drawn. And David then falls and repents and says, isn't it I, aren't I the one that did wrong? Please have mercy. And so the angel of the Lord tells him then to build an altar to the Lord. And uh, there on the threshing floor of Aruna, David wants to do this. So he goes to Aruna and he says, I want to purchase the threshing floor. And it, this is very, very significant because David buys the threshing floor and then he sets up his altar there. And the scriptures tell us later on in Chronicles that this is the area, this threshing floor of Aruna on Mount, this is the area of Mount Moriah. And it was on Moriah that Abraham took his only son Isaac to be sacrificed. And here David purchases this top of Moriah where he is going to then put the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant. And later uh, Solomon is to build the temple there in the same place. And uh, we have the transaction recorded in the Bible, which is very significant because because of this history, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is actually the most highly controversial piece of real estate in the world because of this history and its sacredness to the Jewish people. But then, of course, after the Romans destroyed the temple, and uh, we'll get into this history later on, uh, the Muslims then come in, take the area, they build a mosque there, and so today the Muslims have control over the top of the Temple Mount. The Jews are able to pray down below at the Western Wall. And the Christians, uh, at one time, they even had worship going on on the Temple Mount before the Muslims took it over. And, and um, it's just a highly controversial piece of land. But the significance is that we have in the Bible where it was bought and purchased by King David. It is owned by the Jewish people. And uh, what's even more significant is that a thousand years after this story, Jesus was crucified somewhere on probably the edge of Moriah. You know, Moriah is not just a like a mountain peak, you have to realize. Um, it's, a, it's a mountainous area with a plateau and uh, the two possible sites of Jesus's crucifixion, one is on the northern edge of that plateau, and the other one is on the western edge of that plateau. And uh, so the, the plateau where Abraham um, took up his only son to sacrifice him, but knowing that God was going to provide the sacrifice, and God did provide a ram in the thicket for him. But it seems that Abraham also saw forward into history and knew that one day God was going to provide the sacrifice 
in that area. And sure enough, he did through the death of Jesus. And here David is legally purchasing uh, that property for all that will take place there. Now, um, David also reveals uh, in this portion of scripture this week why he's not the one to build the temple. And he says that it's that the Lord told him it was because he had blood on his hands. And um, as I said last week, we don't really have recorded when God told him that. Um, but he, he uh, repeats it twice that the Lord told him he was not the one to build the tabernacle or the temple because he had blood on his hands, but his son Solomon was the one who should build the temple. So um, then we have, we read this week in 1 Chronicles 28. It was sort of David's keynote address. He's getting old and he's setting up Solomon to be the king. And he's passing on uh, to Solomon. He's giving him instructions and words of wisdom. And so here in 1 Chronicles 28, verses 2, beginning 2 through 7, he says here, uh, King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it, but God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. I just want to point out two things here. First is, it was to be a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was the repository of the presence of God for them. And so a resting place for the presence of God. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the importance of the Sabbath rest? Well, here it would be like a Sabbath rest for the Ark of the Covenant, for the presence of God that he could rest. But it also has a beautiful uh, depiction here of the Ark of the Covenant as the footstool of our God. So the Ark of the Covenant wasn't the throne of God. It was the footstool. God was seated in heaven. And so the Ark of the Covenant was to be like a connection between earth and heaven. God is seated in heaven. And the Ark of the Covenant was his footstool. And so when they came before the Ark of the Covenant, they were coming in humility before the footstool of the king. It's just such a beautiful uh, picture there and language. So I wanted to uh, point that out. You know, in this story then, David, he, he gives this little uh, kind of final speech, and then he begins to get everything ready for Solomon so that he can build the temple. He begins to gather the gold and the silver and and um, all of the goods that are needed for building the temple. And he actually even draws up plans for the temple that he says the Lord gave him. And, um, and he's such a great um, example here of a leader passing on leadership to the next generation. 
He prepares it all. He prepares the people. He prepares Solomon. He gives him a plan, and then he passes it on to him. Well, then in our reading, we actually put a pause button now on the story, and we begin a section of the Psalms because over half of the Psalms were actually written by King David. And so at this point, uh, the Daily Bible editor inserts the Psalms so that we can uh, take some time here in these writings before we finish out the story of David and uh, passing on the kingship to Solomon. So let me just say a few words about the book of Psalms. Um, in your regular Bible, the way the Psalms are organized isn't very evident, but there's actually five books of Psalms. Of course, there's 150 Psalms in the Bible, but they're organized originally in as five different books. And uh, we know that about it's a little hard to follow uh, the organization of the Psalms within each book, but there is a little bit of a hint of organization. But these were songs that were to be sung. And so they have stanzas. We just don't know the tune of the music that they were sung to, but we know that they were sung. And so some of them are complete and tell a whole story and others uh, do not do that. Um, so, but the, the original uh, order in the five books begins with Psalm 1 and 2, which are a little bit of an overview uh, of the uh, concepts that you're going to find in the rest of the Psalms. And then they end with Psalm 150, which is like a, just a wonderful praising the Lord Psalm where it just all builds up to this of just praising the Lord with everything that they had in them. But that's one order, and that's in your regular Bible. In the daily Bible, what he chose to do was the Psalms that we knew their chronology. He's already inserted, I think about uh, 17 of the Psalms have already been inserted in our reading. We've already read them. And then there's another uh, 21 Psalms that we know were written later on, uh, much later on. And so they appear much later on in our reading. For the rest of the Psalms, that leaves us um, there about 112 remaining Psalms. And so the editor uh, of the Daily Bible took those and has arranged them by subject. And um, so we're going to read the, the first Psalms are the Psalms for a Troubled Soul. And, um, and then our second group of Psalms is about righteousness and wickedness. The third group of Psalms is about Psalms of joy. Um, and then there's a miscellaneous group at the end. That's how he's organized them. And um, it's really nice. I mean, if you're looking for Psalms that deal really crying out to God because of troubles and, and problems, they're all right there together and you can just spend time going through them. Um, I will say that as I'm reading through them, um, there are some other orders that we could do the Psalms in. And so 
Um, as we're reading through them in the Daily Bible, I'm going to point out a couple of things about the Psalms that the editor uh, doesn't include because of the way he's ordered them. But let me just say this. Out of all 150 Psalms, uh, there are several different authors of the Psalms. Most of them, we know 73 of them were written by King David. And it's a high possibility there's another 12 of them that were probably written by him, but we can't say for sure. Then there's um, another 12 Psalms that were written by David's chief song leader. His name is Asaph. And there's another 11 psalms written by the Levites, the sons of Korah. They were the priests and the Levites. And you can kind of tell the psalms that were written by the priests all just talk about the love, the, the lovely tabernacle of the Lord and the privilege of spending time in the house of the Lord. And and uh, they're really special. But there's, there's another 30, 40, 50 psalms that we really don't know uh, who wrote them or uh, just miscellaneous. But most of them were written by King David. Um, I want to say this about the psalms. You know, back many years ago, when I was a young Christian, a lot of our worship songs were taken right out of the Psalms. We just read almost word for word, or sang, I should say, word for word some of the songs, some of the Psalms. They were our songs. And I am so grateful for that because to this very day, I can repeat some of the Psalms. Not that I'm so great at memory or memorizing scripture, but these I remember because they're a song. I can hear the tune and I can remember the words. And I listen to a lot of the modern worship music and some of it's great, but some of it I just wish like, let's go back to singing the songs. They're so beautiful, so rich, so theologically correct. Um, and I, I really am so thankful for the ones that we learned. So uh, in this week, we're, our first section of the Psalms that we're reading are Psalms for a Troubled Soul. And a number of them were written by King David. And you just feel his heart and his heart cry for the Lord and to be right with the Lord and to walk in fellowship with the Lord. And they are just really beautiful. So I want to end our time today talking about two psalms. The first one, of course, is the famous psalm of the Good Shepherd. The 23rd Psalm, you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. I mean, such a beautiful psalm. And you can just see how that King David, who used to be a shepherd, here expresses his appreciation for God as his shepherd, as the great shepherd. And um, it's just such an absolutely beautiful, beautiful psalm. So let me read for you the 23rd Psalm, and just picture David sitting out on a hillside, looking out over his sheep and writing this song to his Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or some say the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, there is a wonderful devotional uh, booklet written by a shepherd who understood the meaning behind every word in this psalm. His name is Philip Keller, and he wrote a devotional that has just been a bestseller. Just millions and millions of copies have been printed called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. I recommend you get it, give it to your children, to your grandchildren. Um, it's a great little resource to give away. You can, we'll just link to it uh, in the show notes. You can buy it from Amazon. And then I have what uh, is called the Shepherd Trilogy. And this is a book by Philip Keller where they have combined three of his books. So the first book being A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. The second book he wrote is called A Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd. And his third book is A Shepherd Looks at the Lamb of God. So you can buy this also on Amazon. It's the trilogy with all three books. But after all that we've learned about King David, um, it just brings new meaning to this psalm when we uh, listen to it as though from his ears as he sang it to the Lord. There's another uh, psalm that we read this week that I want to close with. It's one of my favorites. Why? Because I know a song of this psalm, and it is so expressive of my heart and of many people's hearts. There's one very special line in this psalm, and it says, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When I hear this psalm, and I'm going to read it for you, I always picture down at Ein Gedi, where we talked about last week, with in the dry, the dry desert and the dry riverbed there, uh, looking up at the caves and the hill, the cliffs, and just picturing David looking at this when uh, he may have written. Uh, this psalm. So let me read for you the uh, 61st first psalm. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower for the enemy. And I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. 
you will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. So King David here is saying, you will preserve the king's life, that I may sing your name, your praises every day, and that I may daily perform my vows before you. That's why God would prolong his life. And um, just such a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And it, it has another picture word in here that I want to mention about finding shelter in the shadow of his wings. We're going to talk about that again next week. It's a very common picture of the wings of God throughout the psalms and that we can find shelter in his wings and we can find shelter in the shadow of his wings. And here, uh, King David comes up with this in Psalm 61. So I hope that you will be blessed this week as you read through these amazing psalms and just let your heart join with King David's or the Levites, whoever's writing each one. Pour out your heart before the Lord this week. You will never be the same. And in the meantime, I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, the Lord bless the reading of his word and minister deep into your hearts and your spirits. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.